to the Bad Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how to not be an asshole at work. We'll tell you about bad bosses, how they can be handled, how to tell if you happen to be one. An executive and an executive coach, both artists working in advertising and marketing for more than two decades, are here to advise you on the ins and outs of office environments. The Bad Boss Brief is your ultimate guide to navigating any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I'm Stephanie Pirolo. And I'm Eugene S. Robinson. <laughs> Today, we are going to be talking about the over-promising boss. So <laughs> most of us have had some sort of experience ourselves or heard from people, you know, the story of like, you're going to get a promotion, but there's a hiring freeze, so we'll take care of you later. We're going to sell the company or have a merger We'll take care of you later. They promise something, whether it's title, additional folks, additional resources, <laughs> and then it never materializes. Or Silicon Valley style stock options. I could give you a raise, but the stock options are worth more. Right. And the magical castles that you're building with that. And this was actually something that was sent in to us by a guy named Greg, who said we could use his real name and the name of one of the companies in question. And Greg was working at a privately owned software company. This was a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. That was a software company. And the guy mm -hmm. that owned the company couldn't write any code. So he <laughs> hired a bunch of people to write code, software for oil companies. And they were doing really well. The owner of the company was able to buy a vacation home. He had a Porsche. But yeah. he stopped giving out raises because he said he was shopping the company and that mm -hmm. it would all it would all come out when the sale happened, right? Everybody yeah. would be would be rewarded for their efforts. Mm -hmm. So he sells the company to Halliburton known for deep pockets and says to the people that work for him, it's a very small group, that the sale was for over $50 million. So they wait and Greg is surprised to find that he is being offered a job at Halliburton for exactly the same amount of money. So there's no earnout, there's no bump. That traditionally mm -hmm. happens with when there's an acquisition, none of that. And $90,000 in cash and stock to be vested over a number of years. Now, $90,000 to most people is going mm -hmm. to be a significant amount of money, right? Even if you have to wait for it. But mm -hmm. if you are one of a small group of engineers that has written a bunch of software code that has allowed your boss to make $50 million, being tipped less than you would tip the DoorDash driver, like 1% mm -hmm. for your mm -hmm. efforts, is mm -hmm. seemed to Greg to be woefully inadequate, especially because when the raises stopped a couple of mm -hmm. years before the sale, he could have gone to another company and made significantly more money because of his skills. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that? Is he just kvetching because he felt like he should get more or should the boss with the Porsche have forked over a larger percentage of the profits? Well, there are two things here, right? Let, let, let's. I'm going to give you three words that might make it clear to everybody listening. John D. Rockefeller, who routinely robbed his children as they were being raised because he wanted to, to, to clue them into the ways of business. He says, hey, uh, tell you what, 
How about I give you how about I give you five dollars and you mow the lawn? Kids would run out and mow the lawn and come back with the five dollars. I said, How about I give you? That was the beginning of the negotiation. I didn't say I was gonna give you. <laughs> so, you know, lesson well learned for a seven-year-old at that point, you know, and then he advanced to, did you get it in writing? If you didn't get it in writing, I can't I can't help you. I mean, so this is the way he sharpened his uh, you know, his kids against the, the a future of poverty. And I think, you know, there's what people should do and there's what people do do. So it's it's incumbent on you to protect yourself, to make sure this doesn't happen. And there's a side of me that says, woe be tied to you who doesn't do who doesn't do the due diligence. If you're walking around expecting people just to be nice to you because that's what they should do, that's not business. And that's certainly not business in America, you know. Well, and I think there's I think there's two buckets, right? So one yep. of the buckets where I think it's easiest to get things in writing is that scenario where somebody offers you a promotion. Right. Gives you additional job responsibilities, but says there's a hiring freeze. We can't give you a raise till the next cycle. We can't mm-hmm. give you a title bump, but it'll all come out in the wash. Mm-hmm. That's a circumstance where I think it's it's certainly advisable and actually pretty easy to say, okay, let's go ahead and get that in writing. Mm-hmm. Is that raise mm-hmm. going to be retroactive when it shows up? Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. to really solidify mm-hmm. that. And I think that's easier because even though people might you know, like not want to give you that it is, it's, it's like negotiating for a job. There's an acceptance that, you know, you're not stupid, right? This is not your first rodeo. I think the challenge is when you're talking about this, the purchase option, right? So I've Mm -hmm. been through this a couple of times in my career and Mm -hmm. it was working for companies that were privately owned, but didn't Mm -hmm. offer equity. So they didn't have yeah. they didn't have stock options. There was no percentage of. It right. was this same idea, and it's it's very paternalistic. And I've heard it a number of times. We'll mm. take care of you when there's a sale. Yeah, but it's yeah. like I, I don't need a pat on the head. I need something written down. And I think that's where it's harder because there isn't a mechanism like mm. there is with a raise or HR or sending an email. Mm-hmm. There isn't a mechanism mm-hmm. to say to quantify what you would actually make. When there was a sale, and a lot of times those sales do have something that's coming from the seller, like an earnout or something along those right. lines. You know, it's interesting. Before one of the last places I did business in over overseas was Italy, uh, both Italy and Poland. And the advice I got uh, from people who knew in playing both of those countries is: if something happens strange with your money, and you're tempted to reach into your pocket and pull out your contract to say, "Look, this is what's in the contract." You need to know in both Poland and Italy, this will be a f- totally failed strategy. It will never work. And I go, okay, so what do I do if we run into, we, we're at loggerheads over something? The guy said, you put the paper aside, you look them in the eye and say, I thought we were friends. He goes, they will start crying and immediately give you what you want because you're talking about the nature of a relationship between two individuals in which word is bond and and is an expectation that like family or friends or loved ones, that you're going to do the right thing. The piece of paper, insignificant. So it was just, it was an interesting lesson. And of course, as luck would have it, I did have the occasion to have that moment where I wanted to go to the contract. And I was like, look, I thought you were going to take care of me. And the guy completely folded. I got, I got the money. So we should, we should give the proviso should be the, the advice that we're giving now is U.S. bound. Yes, <laughs> it yes. will not work. Asking somebody in in Italy, if, in France, even for well, look at the contract. It's just yeah, it's never. I want it in writing. It's just not never going to work over there. Well, but I think one thing that's interesting is that's actually there's. I think that in the United States, it's mm-hmm. the flip of that. 
There's yeah. a lot of language about, I'm going to take care of you. I value you. You, yeah. My word is my bond yeah. until they cut the legs out from underneath you when the deal actually happens. And I think part of this is there's, there's this challenge of perception, right? So like to use the example that Greg sent in, um, you've got an owner who thinks I'm giving these people $90,000. That's a huge chunk of change. They should be thanking me, right? <laughs> and what he's not seeing, which is the the recipient's point of view, which was, right. okay, first of all, you're not giving me $90,000. You're giving me the opportunity to earn stock and cash that may be right. worth $90,000, right. offset against the loss that I already had by staying at this job. I'm netting, you know, I don't know what, maybe forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 when I could have made probably that much more had I gone to another company. And so I think that's part of it. And it, it again, comes from this very paternalistic sense of I'll take care of you when they have absolutely no intention of taking care of you. It's like, it's like when women used to get paid less than men and the excuse was, well, like you're not supporting a family. Why should I pay you the same as this guy who has a family of three to feed? Yeah. That was really the rationale. And I feel like it's the same thing now with these people who are selling companies of like, well, I mean, I fill in the blank. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you use the interesting word there. I like used to. (laughs) What do you mean mean used to? (laughs) As far as I know. Uh, women are still getting paid less than men. So, I mean, but at least there's not what I read, you know, but there's not the excuse right now. There's no place to hide. If they're paying me less than a man who's doing the same job, then it's inequity. It's actionable. It can be a problem. It used to be right. that right. that was the, the sort of, um, that was the excuse for it. It was right. like, of course, I'm paying you less because you're not running a household with the assumption that yeah. there were no women running households, which we know is completely false. But I do think it's interesting. It's like, I do feel like there is a similar gloss on mm-hmm. the way that people treat their employees now, right? I, I, I wrote something about this in, in my Substack, but this notion of we talk a lot about psychological safety. We talk mm-hmm. a lot about people wanting to show up to work authentically, particularly younger <laughs> folks are showing up and, and demanding that. And yeah. there's all of this head nodding yeah. by people who are continue to act in a the rapacious manner of capitalism under the guise of this, of course, we want you to be your authentic self at work. To my funny, I don't know if you've ever seen Don Rickles' routine, but typically he would tell some joke, you know, excoriating some, you know, cast class race of people in the audience. And then he would do this comedic aside where he would kind of say to the rest of the audience, are they laughing? Are they la- like, are they, are they buying this? Yeah, no. And this is what, this is exactly what you're describing. We'll take care. Are they buying this? Are they, are they buying this? Cause I'm getting 50 mil and I, you know, I'd like to help, but maybe you could come by the pool sometime. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> but this is the nature. What was that great phrase from the turn of the century, uh, you know, 1890s to 1900s, but the beginning of the industrial revolution said, uh, lifeblood is a, uh, Competition is the lifeblood of trade. So let's see some competition. Let's see some blood. It's a, it's a tough business. And it has it just because we're in the information age now doesn't make it any less so. In actual fact, it makes it more so. So, yeah, I read today an acronym. You've probably heard this, but I hadn't heard it before the FANG companies. Yeah. 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 I just, I was like, yeah. I love that. I, and for well, those I, of you that, that don't yeah. know what it is, FANG is for Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Yeah. 
But of course, now I'm completely amused because it's technically Mang now, right? Because Facebook is meta. So I start to think of Scarface, <laughs> you know, how Pacino pronounces man there. So the Mang companies. <laughs> That's yeah, an but aside. It, but in a way, I think it's funny because I do feel like, and I'm probably reading way too much into this, I do feel like not referring to someone by the name that they use. Mm-hmm. is a mark of disrespect. Yeah. And saying to Facebook, you can call yourself whatever it is that you want to. You can play whatever games you want to play about Meta or whatever. We're calling you what you were, which is yeah. Facebook, which is something that that guy started in his dorm room to rank which yeah. girls were hottest. So, yeah, but yeah. maybe I'm maybe I'm over. But okay, okay, but now in literary terms, we call this foreshadowing. So let's just stick a pin in this and maybe it'll come up later in the show. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I have no patience. Let's do it now. Okay, well, this would be the fire me segment and it's like I don't know if you've read, I think it was a Washington Post piece, a description about what's going on, a lot of stuff on background, a lot of stuff off the record, but a lot of stuff from executive staffers at Facebook. Sorry, Meta. And people, it is, they're having, I mean, they're actually asking questions in open meetings like, why are you still CEO? (laughs) I mean, they're asking Zuckerberg. I mean, people are not playing. They sold this fantasy, the Facebook fantasy, so heavily that people feel majorly uh, disenchanted, disenfranchised, and, and, and angry. You know, and it's and we're not talking about the people who've been laid off. We're talking about the people who are still there. You know, who are like kids from you know in a, in families where there's domestic abuse. It's like, what happened to mom and dad? What are you? What's what are you doing? You sunk billions into this. Is there a plan? And you know, uh, 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 Zuckerberg himself is on this kind of mea culpa tour of like, yes. Yes, you know, I've I've made mistakes. There will be more layoffs in May, but I've made mistakes. And it's like, what do you do? So now some, you know, pundits are saying this is a crisis of confidence that will that there is no way he is literally a dead man walking. There's no way to regain this. You know, Steve Jobs had two lives at Apple, but between those two lives, he actually had to leave Apple so um, or was forced to leave. So, you know, Zuckerberg, who uses him, uses Jobs as his North Star, has got a real problem on his hands. And, you know, fire me. This is a perfect, a perfect, you know, either those people were needed and necessary and therefore should not have been let go that easily. Are you on a flyer not paying attention to business and made a mistake? from which you will never, the sense of family, and this is a premier place to work, all that stuff, the fantasy is gone, 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 gone. And I'm I'm working with people uh, who work there and they're like, you got any jobs? (laughs) And their jobs are safe. They do not want to be there anymore. It's a rudderless, directionless, you know, uh, it's like the Pequod, you know, ship of doom. Um, So that's my segment for, for, for Fire Me. But it's interesting because it seems so little, so late. I mean, he has been pouring money into the metaverse for so long and so much money and has had absolutely nothing to show for it. And now that it seems like people are recognizing that, you know, now people aren't talking about the metaverse any more than they were talking about Second Life when Second Life was done. Now everybody's talking about AI. But this has been going on for years. It's like, who's 
who's paying attention? And it just seems like, yeah. again, this, this weird American system where we have these white men who anoint themselves as these tech saviors and have other people anoint them and they can do no wrong until they have really run aground and lost so much value, goodwill, potential. I mean, imagine if Zuckerberg had put, you know, I mean, he was spending billions with a B, right, on the metaverse. Imagine if he had put that against some, I don't know, social concern. Yeah. Well, presumably that's what was being done through Chan, the Chan Institute, his, his wife's company, um, that they were, I have some, I have another spy who works there and supposedly they were involved in good works. Uh, supposedly, I don't know. I consider whenever, when I hear somebody with that much money doing good works, I think tax write off. So who, who, who knows? But the reality of it is that, I mean, um, let's see, I, I have, children who are 26, 24, uh, uh, 20, um, none of them use Facebook with any kind. I mean, maybe once every six months, they do something on Facebook. So how low do you, uh, okay, I do jujitsu with guys who are 17. They on Facebook? Nope. Okay. Well, I, I make music with people who are in their forties. Now we're starting to get you know, you get a little bite of people who are in their 40s who are doing it. But, you know, the numbers are – these are not numbers that advertisers are going to pay billions of dollars for. It's just yeah, not, I mean, the, it's, the people, it's a garbage scow. Yeah, the people who are on Facebook look like me. They're gray-haired grandmas and they're exchanging recipes and silly little cartoons. And, you know, that's yeah, a lot yeah. of what's happening on Facebook. And yeah. demographic – people who are paying attention to demographics and spending advertising money don't want people that look like me. It doesn't matter how yeah. much money we have. They, that's yeah. not what they're interested in, right? And yeah. everybody's yeah. kind of moving to other things. So so back to the back to the overpromising boss. We got a, a nice comment from somebody that we're offering actionable advice, like that we give yeah. real suggestions yeah. to people. You know, and I was thinking about what is the suggestion for the overpromising boss, right? Aside from what we talked about earlier, that if you're given you know, a new job promotion or responsibilities, get it in writing. But as far as the sale thing, what I was thinking about was, so this is what, this is what happened to me. I was working at a, a advertising agency. I was in charge of revenue as I usually mm -hmm. was when I worked at ad agencies. And the owner mm -hmm. said, we want to sell the company in the next three to four years. Mm -hmm. And Okay. So I sat down with the CFO and we did the projections. And then in order to get to a saleable, you know, benchmark, we mm -hmm. needed to have a growth plan that looked like a hockey stick. It went way up really right. quickly. Right. And I said, okay, I think we can do that. Here's how we're going to do it, right? As the person in charge of growth and revenue, here's my plan to get you there in, you know, three to four years. Oh, and mm -hmm. by the way, to implement this, you're going to have to give me a piece of the action. You I don't. Said I said this to them. Okay. I don't remember what it was, but it was it was modest, and they flat out refused, flat mm. out refused. And so I said, mm. "Okay, well, I'm going to be leaving now." So okay. I left within three to four years. They didn't get bought. They went out of business. Huh. Right, and I think it's interesting because I remember. You know, but the thing is, if I was giving advice to someone in my position, I uh -huh. would love the advice to be something else besides you have to leave and go find another job, especially yeah, in a market like today, which is challenging, right? I mean, yeah. we don't all have the opportunity to just say, I'm done, I'm washing my hands and walking away. So I yeah. realize that's not ideal. I think what's challenging to me is, so 
a really long time ago when I was working in advertising sales, I had a boss who was not as good with numbers as I was. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, okay, help me set your, um, what your financial goal is for the year. Mm-hmm. So I, of course, not being dumb and being paid mostly on commission said, mm-hmm. I think I can make this much. And I kind of under, under delivered thought, I think I could do better than that. She said, mm-hmm. okay, fine. And then they had one of those like multi-tiered plans, right? Like if you made yeah. your revenue goal, you got X. If you made this much more, this much more, this much more. Right. So we had a better year than we thought. It started in January. By February, I had made my goal for the year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just kept making money. Yeah. And in July, she wanted to fire me because she was like, I'm going to have to pay you so much in for your bonuses that it's going to make everybody else mad. And I was like, okay, well, and of course, you know, salesperson hubris, I'm like young and cocky. I said, well, considering that I'm making more for the company than the six of them combined, I'm not Mm -hmm. particularly concerned about the fact Mm -hmm. that I'm going to be making more. Didn't dissuade her. What I finally said was, you're giving me, and I think at that point it was like seven or eight or 9%. It was a pretty big percentage. And I said, even if you're giving me 10%, you keep 90. You keep 90. So why do you want to get rid of me? Because, you know, and it's again, and she did, I did end up leaving. I did end up leaving because I was making too much money. And I think this is kind of what's at the crux of of this entire episode is this weird Mm -hmm. perception of money and who gets it and what it's worth. It's almost Mm -hmm. like economic dysmorphia, right? You know, when people have body dysmorphia and they can't accurately perceive what their weight or size or strength is, it's almost the same thing that they're the simple math to me, which was Mm -hmm. to that boss, you get 90%, I get 10 or to whoever's Mm -hmm. selling the company, I can Mm -hmm. help you make the money and you'll still get 90%. Mm -hmm. They're not able to see that. What is, what is that about? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, this, I, I don't know. (laughs) It's a weird kind of uh, business myopia because when you brace these people, they'll typically say business as though it were some passionless, you know, uh, 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 play playground of objectivity when it's, it's never, it's never been that it's, it's never been that, you know, I mean, one, it always cracks me up. If you read the history of it, where at one point Wozniak, Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple realized that in one of the early deals that, that Apple had signed with Compaq or maybe Microsoft, he, he finally got around to looking at the paperwork and saw that jobs had robbed him, but like not of any significant amount amount like that would have made a like it was like it was just like an arbitrary robbery like you could understand like if somebody robbed me of 10 million dollars you go like look it just got the money was just too much for the guy he broke under the pressure he had a moment of weakness but it was like why would you rob me of eighty thousand dollars <laughs> like why would you <laughs> you're already worth millions why eighty thousand dollars and it's 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 the middle class in me that lets me say, well, it's only eighty thousand dollars because if you talk, if you talk to any of the billionaires I know, they never use that word "only eighty thousand dollars." <laughs> no, only for them, it's eighty thousand dollars. That's significant money for them, even if they've got billions. So yeah, it's a weird deal. Who gets what and why? You know. Well, and I think too. I mean, to me, there's this idea of like we have these sort of foundational narratives that we work mm-hmm. with, right? Mm-hmm. 
and it's the foundational corporate narratives. And I find myself, the older that I get, the more I'm looking at them and thinking, who who actually, it, like, you really, you're buying this? You're really believing this? You know, mm-hmm. looking at people who, and a lot of this is, I um, follow Trisha Hersey, who has written about rest as a revolution. And mm-hmm. she's talking about it very specifically as a black woman, looking at mm-hmm. rest as reparations. It's, it's very complex, right? It's not just yeah. like, go take a nap. But what's interesting is that in in reading her content, I feel like I'm starting to question what mm-hmm. I have been sold as a bill of goods, right? Mm-hmm. That I really, I genuinely believe that I, if I worked 50, 60 hours a week as a single mom raising two kids in my 30s and 40s, I would be able to reap the rewards later. And I'm not suggesting that I don't have any rewards, but I'm working pretty hard, <laughs> compared to my white male peers who did the same thing that I did. And, and just this sense of like, why was I working so hard? Why what you know, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, people say sometimes about the the justice system in the United Mm -hmm. States, it's not broken. It's working exactly as it was intended to. I tell you what happened once my first job out of college, I was meeting with the the HR woman that loved me. So this was not that kind of an issue. And I'm in her office. We're talking and she gets called away for a second. And I'm like, I don't know whether I should stay or should leave. And so I'm kind of standing waiting for her to return. And I look down on her desk and there's a folder there that says salaries. And this was like an Adam and Eve moment with the apple. Like, I know I shouldn't look. But I can't help myself. Hey, she left me in the office. She didn't bother putting it away. Maybe on a certain level, I could assume that this is something that she wanted me to see. So I grab the folder, I open it, and I read the first page, and I realize I've made a terrible, terrible mistake. Because nothing I find out by looking at that paper is actionable for me. I can't bring it up. I can't say anything. And now I'm just resentful. <laughs> I was getting paid $18,000 a year. Keep in mind, my first job was at like 1986, you know, whatever. But uh, people were at the same position. I go, how do you justify giving that guy twice what I'm making when I'm doing twice the amount of work? How does that? The guy went to San Jose State. <laughs> it was, it was, it was the, the aristocrat in me that was appalled, you know. He's making, what, you know, $36,000 for what? I'm doing all the work here. So, you know, it, it's weird. It's weird how people, uh, and I'm not going to, we don't even have to go into, well, the guy who was getting twice what you were getting paid, where was he from? Like, what was his... No, the, the American question mark. Well, you know, yeah, he's a white guy. So that's, but, <laughs> we'll just cut, the, cut to the chase there. But I think that's, I mean, you know, if if I'm looking at these kind of pillars of work culture and, mm-hmm. and questioning them, one mm-hmm. of the pillars of work culture that has fallen or is falling is you can't talk about your salary. Right. 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 I mean, I used to, I, when there were jobs where that was written into the employee manual, you are not allowed to ever discuss salary. And this is not as a manager. This is like as a, a, just a regular, you know, employee can't ever talk about salary. And now that's gone away. I don't know if you can even legally put that in, in any sort of, you know, employee handbooks, but I remember doing a, a talk about negotiation. This was in 2017. So a few years ago, right. And I was talking about negotiation. I was talking about negotiation for salary. And I said, y'all need to start talking to each other about how yeah. much you make. Yeah. And that is something that I think 
So if if you are listening and you are in that kind of consigliere college is what I talk about it. Like I have a lot of young women that read my stuff because their company won't pay for executive coaching for them. So this is like executive coaching light. Please talk to each other about salary. Normalize talking about your salary. One is if you talk about money, it'll make it easier for you to negotiate, right? That's a, a negotiation skill. But you need to know this because I heard about a woman who was part of an advertising creative team, so a writer and a copywriter. And for those of you that aren't in advertising, that's kind of the the unit and they will make up creative ideas together. And you don't know who does what, right? Like, you know, it's like this, it's like this podcast, who's doing what? You and I are doing it together. It is a, it is a, of a piece. So a woman was working with a man and it was, uh, it was a, some kind of account that was geared specifically towards women. And she ended up doing most of the work because the guy that she was paired with wasn't that great. She found out that he was making $60,000 more a year than she was. Wow. (laughs) They were peers. They had the same experience. They had the same background. She was actually doing most of the work. Knowing that, she was able to go to the, the, you know, people who are in charge and say, Hey, this is a problem. And she was able to make up that difference. Right. He didn't tell her, mind you, I don't think he told her she found out. In some of course he, he would not never. And that's, that's not a smart money move. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. Not, yeah. And so I think, I think that with that knowledge, what it enables people to do is to take where you were and evolve mm-hmm. that for a new generation, which is, you can bring right. it up. Because you heard it and you can now use that as a place to start your negotiations to be able to understand that. Because otherwise, you don't know what to ask for salary if you just go off of Glassdoor. You have to talk to other people that do jobs similar to you in the same town, in the same kind of DNA, DMA. So, yeah. So now, now I'm sorry. This is the Colombo in me wants this one thing you brought up. and uh, What company does Greg work at? Um, he, he does. He said you could mention one. So I mentioned. He said I can mention Halliburton, the with oh, a company. Yeah. yeah, the Halliburton was the one that okay. bought the company where he previously worked. He didn't yeah. say the name of the company where he previously worked. No, no, no. Although I could say it, but I don't want to. Whatever. No, no, no. I got you. But, Halliburton's good enough. So. Yes, but what I wanted to mention since we're almost at time is I don't know what our next episode is going to be. So I would like you all to. Be like Greg. Send us some ideas about what you would like to hear. We are, as always, at WTF at Bad Boss Brief. WTF at BadBossBrief.com. I will personally read that. Give us some suggestions. And the other thing we are asking you to do is to ask us questions that you would like us to answer in a quieter venue. We're going to start a new segment that's called Sub Rosa. Uh, it'll start in a little while. It's not right next time, but it will be soon where you ask a question that's going to end up being behind a paywall. So it's going to be the small group of, I know there's a small group of people that listen to what it is that we say. We love you. We appreciate you. You will now have an opportunity to get us to give you advice. That is, it is sub Rosa. It is secret. Anything you want to say about that, Eugene? Yeah, it's it, it, this. This is the, the private time. This is a time when we're walking out of a, a seminar. You run up to us, get, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And this, this, this is our, this is our sidebar offering. So it is not for uh, general interest. You can be frank in a way that maybe you wouldn't if you were writing to the main show, because your bosses are probably not going to go behind the paywall. So we, we will be uh, uh, um, uh, uh, aggressively honest and and direct with you. And that is that is 
worth the money that that you'll spend for it. So absolutely. All right. Thanks very much, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Adios. Thank you for listening to the Bad Boss Brief with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com. That is C-O-N-S-I-G-L-I-E-R-A dot substack.com for Stephanie and Eugene S. Robinson dot substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's the number 3, on Instagram. Send us your questions or comments to WTF at BadBossBrief.com and be sure to join us right here on your favorite podcast platform for more insights every other week. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work. 